Welcome to The Open Word, the online teaching ministry of Pastor David Landry on today's episode. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. It is the honesty of the straightforward teaching, preaching, and personal presentation of the full counsel of God's holy word that opens people's eyes up to the hope of the gospel. We dare not water it down to make it more palatable. We can't soft sell it to make it more appealing. We dare not change it or pervert it to fit into the current social behaviors. The gospel is simple. Jesus Christ came to earth to die for the sins of mankind so that after death we could be reunited with God. When we add anything to this message, we actually detract from it. Jesus is the only thing we need. Apart from him, we can't work for our salvation. We can't live a life pleasing to God. We can't give or serve enough. In today's message, Pastor David encourages you to read the Bible and hear the simple, honest Word of God, which will open your eyes to the truth of Jesus Christ. Now here's Pastor David in the book of Acts chapter 13, as he continues his message, The Conflict of Intellect and Religion. Luke is very clear in telling us that Bar-Jesus, or Elimus, was also a Jew. And it would do us really good to remember that, that Jews, by and large, they stayed away from things that might be considered magic or sorcery. Elsewhere in Acts, we find of Simon the magician, a Jew who was a magician. The actual word there is not magos. That's, that's the Greek word pharmakia. Totally different word, totally different direction at that point in time. Most Jews stayed away from idolatry or anything that would uh, be even considered uh, magic or sorcery because it was too close to that idea of idolatry. And they had been healed of that during the Babylonian captivity. Israel never went back into idolatry after that point in time. But it seems as though the translators calling Elamas a sorcerer comes like from what I said in verse 10 when Paul says, you're the son of the devil and you're an enemy of all righteousness. But I want to also submit to you that in the gospel accounts, remember Jesus dealing with the Jewish leadership that were again hindering the gospel, hindering the message, keeping the message of the gospel to come to the people are trying to do that. Remember what Jesus told the Jewish leaders in that day. He said in the book of John to these Jewish leaders, you are of your father, the devil. Sons of the devil, you're of your father, the devil. And the desires of your father, you want to do. And then in addition to that, the apostle John in his first epistle in chapter three of first John 
he writes, he who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. And then down in verse 10, he adds on, in this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God nor is he who does not love his brother. Guys, what I'm trying to say here, what I'm trying to get the point across here, is you do not have to be into black magic or sorcery to be a son of the devil. You don't have to be doing demonic activities to be a son of the devil or an enemy of all righteousness. As a matter of fact, I believe what we see here. And I believe even what we see throughout the Word of God. You can actually be very, very intellectual and very religious and still be the son of the devil and an enemy of all righteousness. Because any opposition to the fullness of the truth of the gospel message is playing right in to the hands of Satan himself. We need to understand that. We need to see that. Because even today, there's many. Even within the structure of what we would call the church, there's many who are right now being used by the devil because they believed in and stand more for the idea of man's intellectual knowledge over having faith in the word, the work, and the hand of God. When man makes effort to take God and or his word out of the picture, and in particular, when that individual or that group becomes a stumbling block to those who would come to faith in Christ, they fully become an enemy of righteousness. They are themselves becoming, setting themselves up, or at least acting as sons of the devil. And as his sons, they're very busy going about their father's business, their father's evil business. Guys, whenever we as individuals or as a group, even under the banner of the church, through our human intellect or through our reasoning, we try to rationalize our sin, we try to minimize the perversity of the culture, dismiss the need of man to repent, make light of the consequences of God's coming judgment, disregard the need for the cross and the sacrifice of Jesus, contradict the effects of his amazing grace, play down the miraculous, and give physical explanation to that which is obviously supernatural. Folks, we become the enemy of all righteousness. We become, we set ourselves up as children or sons and daughters of the devil. Guys, we see that so strongly today. Even from those that profess to be spokesmen or spokeswomen for the Lord as they fail to warn people of God's coming judgment. Right now, today, one of the largest largest churches in our nation. You will never hear Joel Olstein speaking of your need to repent. He'll never speak of the reality of sin in your life. He only wants you to have your best life now. And beloved, 
If that's what you're going for, that's all you're going to get is life now. And you'll have an eternity separated from Jesus Christ. If man does not recognize his sin and his need for repentance, the word of God says there is no salvation for that individual. As good as you can be outside of recognition of our sin, our repentance, and our trust and faith in Jesus Christ. We see it in denominational movements. They've left the eternal truths of God's word in order to appease the culture. I can't believe it, but denominations, long-held denominations, that are taking votes as to whether homosexual marriages should be accepted, whether homosexual pastors or preachers should be allowed in pulpits. Beloved, you don't need to take a vote. You only need to read the Word of God. And when the church, quote-unquote, begins taking votes based on the mores of our secular culture, then we are trying to then conform the church to the ways of the world rather than impacting the world with the truth of the gospel. Guys, we see it in church leadership who feel they need to to bypass God's truth and God's order simply because the standards of our society have changed. We see this in churches who no longer preach that reality of sin, no longer preach the idea of personal repentance. We see in pulpits men who have sold themselves out to the lies of the enemy in order to be people pleasers rather than lovers of God. Some of us this past week had the opportunity to see the the movie, The Moses Controversy. One of the things that came to me over and over in that documentary was the number of theologians, the number of scientists, the number of archaeologists and others who at one time in their life, they had had training and the teaching of an evangelical church. At one point in time in their life, they accepted the word of God as truth. But as they progressed in their education, their intellect lost sight of the miraculous. And they forgot about the reality of the supernatural. And in the words of God's word, in their wisdom, they became as fools. You need to connect with the fact that the Apostle Paul, he was, he was a well-educated man. Even he, he says that I was excelling beyond my peers. He was a guy that could debate the, the best uh, there in, in, in Athens, there on Mars Hill, as he stood there and debated the, the intellectuals of his day. But later on in his ministry, he would tell the church at Corinth, he says, I, brethren, when I came to you, I didn't come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. And your faith that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. He goes on to say, however, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, 
yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages of our glory. A little later in the same book, in chapter 3, he says, Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it's written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. Please, please understand, please. Paul is not against higher education. Paul is not saying, hey, go with a fifth grade education, you'll be fine. No, that's not what he's saying. And that's not what I'm saying. Higher education is good. As a matter of fact, if I ever need to go in for heart surgery, I want to make sure that guy went to school, okay? Uh, didn't get it off of YouTube. Higher education is good. But the problem that we're finding, particularly in our culture, is that many of the uh, academia in our culture are drawing people further and further away from the Word of God. Even our children... Who are we, who we are trying to raise in the nurture and the admonition of our Lord Jesus Christ. They move on to colleges and universities and many times they lose their faith because they're not solidly grounded enough to be able to stand against the attacks of the enemy. And beloved, here is the sick part of this. Many times even in Christian colleges and universities, they're downplaying the need of the virgin birth. Genesis, the first several chapters of Genesis, that's just all fable. That's just kind of, you know, trying to put together. There's, there's no truth in that. And beloved, if you don't have Genesis right, you're not going to get the rest of it right. You're just not. That's another platform. Let me move on. <laughs> as a Jew and as the counselor of the proconsul, Elimus was, was he, he was in an honorable position. A position that would have allowed him to speak into the life of Sergius Paulus. To speak into his life the truth of the great God of Israel. But I believe when we look at this, that his Judaism had long since gone away. And his trust and faith in the God of Israel had probably long since gone away. Paul recognized the wickedness of the direction that Elimus was going with his actions. Paul recognized fully that the enemy of all men's souls was using Elimus and educated a religious man with influence to turn the proconsul away from the faith. He wanted to block Sergius Paulus from his ability to grasp the simplicity of the hope of the gospel as it began to penetrate his heart. And so the Holy Spirit moved Paul to action and to words. Verse 9 says, When Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, he looked intently at him and said, O full of deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease? 
perverting the straight ways of the Lord. And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Now just a real quick note, this just a side note. Saul, who is also called Paul. This is the last time we hear him called Saul. From here on in, he's called Paul. Except in a couple of instances later on in Acts, where Paul himself is giving testimony of his own life, and he gives testimony of his conversion experience. And he said, on that road to Damascus, I heard a boy saying, Saul, Saul. But for the rest of Acts, he's known as Paul. One of the other things we find out is that right here, things change. And it's no longer Barnabas and Saul, or even Barnabas and Paul. Paul becomes, in essence, the leader of this missionary group. Verse 13 speaks of Paul and his party. But here, the Holy Spirit moved upon the apostle as he pronounces a curse upon Elamus for standing in defiance of the gospel. We see here Paul is moved by the Holy Spirit, not by his emotions, not by frustration, but moved by the Holy Spirit. Even as the Holy Spirit sent blindness on Elamus, you need to understand It was only for a temporary time. It was interesting. Only for a temporary time. Paul says you're not going to see the sun for a time. And it was for a particular time, but it was also for a particular purpose. Because we see in verse 12 that the proconsul at that point in time believed when he saw what had been done. Being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Now, understand also, I don't believe it was just because Sergius Paulus saw Elimus going blind that he believed the gospel. I think that that might have been the point that kind of urged him on into something. But the word Luke tells us that he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Guys, if there's anything that I want you to to take home today, that I want to make abundantly clear to you today, it's the fact that it is the honesty of the straightforward teaching preaching and personal presentation of the full counsel of God's holy word that opens people's eyes up to the hope of the gospel. We dare not water it down to make it more palatable. We can't soft sell it to make it more appealing. We dare not change it or pervert it to fit into the current social behaviors. We, as the church, need to stand in the truth and in the righteousness of God's word, not being moved by the mores of our society, but standing on the eternality of God's word. Man naturally will move towards sin. We dare not change the word of God to fit man. Guys, man must repent and come to a knowledge of the truth, the one truth the eternal truth of God's redemptive plan found by grace through faith in that completed work of Jesus Christ who suffered and died for the sin of all mankind. Guys, Jesus didn't give himself as a sacrifice in order that we could continue to live however we wanted and change the words of his word, the Bible, to fit our own personal lifestyles. That's not why he died. His sacrifice allows us to actually die to ourselves and the ways of this world and be born again as a part of the eternal kingdom. If you didn't catch it before, 
You need to understand, I don't think that Elamus was a sorcerer. I don't think he was a guy with a magic wand and a pointed hat and throwing out incantations. I don't think that's what the guy was. Neither do I believe that he was demon-possessed. And in, in, in at least the, the normal sense of the word is what we see in the gospel and in the book of Acts. But yes, he was absolutely used by the devil, just as any man or any woman can be used by the devil to block the message of the gospel. But more than anything, personally, I believe that Elamus was an individual who worked hard at trying to find a place of comfort in this present world without paying any heed to the next. I believe that he was a man of intelligence. I believe he was probably very well read, very, very intelligent in so many areas, except the one that was most important for his eternity. And to reinsure himself of his own folly, he did all that he could to keep others from coming to a knowledge of the truth. You see, when others are on fire for Jesus, it makes us uncomfortable when we're not on fire for Jesus. When others live their lives in holiness and truth, and we're still toying with sin, it makes us uncomfortable. Elamus didn't want Sergius Paulus to come to a knowledge of the truth. Did he lose his job as the counselor to the proconsul? I think he probably did. Did he maybe later on come to a true saving faith in Jesus? I'd like to think that he did. Think of the Apostle Paul, Saul of Tarsus, on the road to Damascus. To keep people from coming to faith in Christ and to destroy the church. And God struck him blind for a season, for a time. Wouldn't it be cool to get to heaven and see this guy that had fought so hard against God with his intellect, with his understanding, that once he was blinded, he was able to finally really and truly see clearer than he ever saw before the truth of God's word. Perhaps someday we'll be able to meet him. We'll see that perhaps he, like so many others throughout all time, they were able to look beyond themselves to see the truth of the crucified Christ, our blessed Redeemer, our precious Redeemer. Seems now I see him on Calvary's tree, wounded and bleeding, for sinners pleading. I was blind and unheeding, yet he was dying for me. I don't know where you're at. Maybe you've never come to that point of repentance. Never come to that point of recognizing that you're a sinner in great need of a great Savior. You know that Jesus still cries out for you because of his love for you. You need to make that commitment of your life to say, you know what? I want to trust in all that Christ has done for me. I want to surrender my life to him. I want to know the forgiveness of my sin. I want to get away from myself and live my life toward Jesus Christ. Or maybe you, even as a believer, maybe there's things that the Holy Spirit spoke to you about and you just want prayer today. As the Lord leads you in desire, take that opportunity. Don't allow the spirit of the enemy to steal that moment as the Holy Spirit speaks to you. 
Thank you for joining us today on The Open Word. Acts is such an interesting book about the early church and how people engaged with their newfound faith and then spread that good news to their region and the entire world. If you're new to the Bible and are unsure what this newfound faith is, you can learn more about a man named Jesus who came to save you. He came as the Son of God to save you from your sins. These early disciples in the book of Acts were elated to share with everyone what Jesus had done for each of them. They wanted others to know that kind of love too. If you want to understand this more fully, we'd like you to know that here at The Open Word, we're here for you and we're praying for you. If you have some questions, please give us a call at 520-836-9676. We'd also like to encourage you to find a church and begin attending regularly. If you live in Casa Grande, we'd love for you to come visit us. The Open Word is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande, and we meet every Saturday at 6.30 p.m. and Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. You're welcome to join us for a time of worship and Bible study and a time to get to know other believers and find support. Find out more when you call us. Again, that number is 520-836-9676. You can also find out more about The Open Word and listen to additional messages by visiting theopenword.com. That's all for today. Thanks for tuning in to The Open Word.